0: Good evening. Good to see you all here on this bitter, cold, California evening. has to be in the mid-60s out there. We are so spoiled. Let's get into John's gospel. We're in chapter 16. We only got halfway through it last week. We're going to finish the half this week it kind of went long last week. I didn't think it was long, but it was, uh, which isn't a good sign. It's never good when you don't think you're going long and you are. Um cuz anyway, it's like that could be dangerous. What if you think you are and then you really are? So, um but we're going to pick up in verse 16 and just to kind of recap, Jesus is warning his disciples that He's going to be leaving and he's warning them so that they won't fall away, so that they won't neglect their belief in him. And he's telling them and he's told us that it's good that he goes away because if he he goes, he will send the comforter, the one who will come alongside. And it's necessary that he goes so that the comforter can come, that advocate, the one who will come alongside, and we talked about the work of the Spirit, his job to prove the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment, and why it was important for that to take place, and how it can now take place on a larger scale. And as we start thinking about, okay, what would you say to someone who has put their trust in you? to help them continue to do the things that you've been showing them, to continue living in the way that you're instructing them to live in, but also warning them that you're not going to be there. And that's kind of what we're finding here with Jesus. He, he's warning them about the things that are going to happen so that they're aware of it. But at the same time, he's trying to encourage them that you can do this. This isn't going to be impossible. The Spirit's going to come alongside, and he's going to help you. And, and so we get Jesus really interceding for his disciples, trying to help them to keep moving forward. And in verse 16 of chapter 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Okay, just think about that. That sounds a little confusing, at least in my mind. If I was one of the disciples, in a little while, you won't see me anymore, and then a little while, you will see me. I would start to figure out, what do you mean? And I, I'm not alone here. At this point, verse 17, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, we'll, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father? they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. And so they're talking to each other saying, do you know what he means? No, I don't know what he means. Do you know? I don't know what he means. What does he mean? I don't know. And then I love verse 19 because it says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, he didn't hear, but he saw. I always wonder, how does Jesus know What's going on in the hearts of people? You know, he's Jesus. He knows all those things, right? But Jesus emptied himself of his right to act as God and acted as a man. And so there were times when Jesus would say things like, who touched me? And he didn't have all knowledge of everything because he was limited. But then he did have insight He discerned in their hearts, it might say, or he saw that in their hearts they weren't believing, and then he would respond. And here it says that Jesus saw that they wanted to ask. And I wonder if sometimes we are just not observant to the situation that we're in. I know that this is the case with me many times in my family. You know, if I'm not observant, I won't catch the nuances to let me know if my wife is upset with me. You know, I'll think everything's fine when really she's been telegraphing, you know, I'm upset with something. You know, maybe I forgot to do something I promised to do. I know it's my fault, whatever it was, you know, but if I'm not observant to her, I won't see and get the telltale signs and I'll be oblivious and I'll go on continuing as if that isn't there when really if I was observant, I could read that something is bothering her or maybe even with my child, if something is weighing heavy on their heart and I say, hey, how's it going? Fine. But I'm not observant and I don't see that really they are troubled and would like to ask, but don't. And there have been a few times where you see someone and you observe something in them and you say, how's it going? they're saying, fine, but you know that's not fine. And you can read that in them and so you speak up. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The more you're aware of them, their emotional... You know, state and just their disposition, you can read that. I, I know that does happen in marriage. There are times when you are able to read you know, your husband or wife more than anyone else. And so you'll know something's bothering them, but no one else will have a cue because you know them and you can pick up those nuances. But I wonder if so much of what Jesus is able to do is just because he really was connected to people in that way where he was involved with them and could actually see what was going on because he was that observant. And having that ability to just really know someone and to know how people are to be able to read people in that way. No doubt the Spirit still illuminated things to him and God still gave him insight that maybe wasn't just visible. But I think He saw something, and I thought that was interesting that he actually saw this and then spoke. And he goes on and he says, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And it's interesting because four times we see in just these short verses, he uses the phrase, uh, in a little while you will see me. And the word he uses for see me the first three times is with physical eyes, having this visual, you know, perception. But this last time that he uses it, it's actually with an understanding of unawareness. And so the first three times that the word is used here, it's, you know, we won't see you physically. And then this last time, John is giving us insight into what he's talking about. You will not see me, but he's talking in more of a spiritual sense. And so he's moving from the incarnation where you see him physically to the resurrection and even the glorification. And that's how they are later going to be able to rejoice. But he is really trying to point them to this area. So in verse 20 says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. A phrase that Jesus uses about the cross. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And so Jesus is trying to now explain exactly what he means by go away. And again, we have the ability to look on this side of the cross back to all the things that have happened. And John is doing the same thing as he's writing this so that we have an understanding of what Jesus was actually saying at the time. And so we know he's talking about the cross and he... He's trying to prepare them for the grief that they are going to encounter that is going to be overwhelming. What I think is important also in this passage is him telling them that you will grieve. I think it's an important thing for us to tell or teach our children there is going to be grief in the world. I know all that is in our nature and and in our society is trying to eliminate any kind of grief, you know. And so it's like, well, I don't want to feel grief, so I'll just do whatever I have to to get rid of it. I'll charge it, you know, put it on the credit card because once I buy that new TV, I don't feel grief anymore until I have to make the payment, so I'll buy something else on a different credit card, you know, and then, or I'll just, you know, take this medication so I don't feel grief or I'll start, you know, abusing this. I mean, there's things that we can do to just try and alleviate grief, but we will grieve. What is important is that God is able to take grief and turn it into something different, to joy. That God is able to take the sorrow in our life, and produce something good from it. That's the important thing, because there's no one here who's going to escape grief. It's going to come by people. It's going to come by illness. It's going to come by tragedies. I mean, grief is going to come. It's going to come by your own hands and your own doing. There is going to be grief, but this grief that was going to happened to them, God was able to turn it into joy. And God is able to take our lives and all the things that we go through and produce something in them if we will allow him to. In other words, if we will keep him in the mix, allow him to govern our lives even when the difficulties come, then he will take that grief and turn it to joy. And he gives us the example of a woman giving birth in child pain, which is a powerful illustration. You know, when that time has come and her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. And, you know, I don't think he's saying that she doesn't remember, ouch, that hurt. I think what he's saying is that there is something that replaces the anguish so that the anguish isn 't the preeminent thought the the now focus is the child that is born, and so when we go through these things in our life and living a life that is following after christ and and we endure those things that come upon our lives, whether it be by other people or whatever the circumstances, God is able to make those things that are so grievous to us, not paramount and not the preeminent focus. Because there is something more that is what gives us the joy and gives us the life. You know, I can't tell you how many times I I get bummed out and depressed. You know, I'll be going through things and I'll just be really in a bad, you know, frame of mind. I've got a cloud over my head and I'm doing the whole Eeyore thing. You know, why me? Nothing's good. Everyone left me. Nobody loves me. I'm just going on in this way. And I can get just so spiraling down in this, you know, uh, depression. Don't want to get up. I, I just don't see the point of going on. Everything is just a labor. There's no, no, Reason to just keep doing this if this is all that there is. And in the middle of those times, there are opportunities where God gives me uh, a glimmer of light, and it might be in a conversation, it might be in something that takes place um, or something that I am able to do. Or maybe even something that someone shares with me that all of a sudden gives my perspective kind of allows me to get up above the clouds and and see that there is light, see that there is hope and see that, wow, you know what? It's going to be okay. Things are going to be all right. But I'm telling you, man, in the middle of it, it, it doesn't feel all right. It feels like grief. But he is able to bring things in our lives that help us turn that grief into joy and help that grief not to be what is our focus. And sometimes we just got to hang on. Sometimes we just have to keep pushing forward. Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. In due time, you will receive the crown of life if you don't faint. And so sometimes we just have to keep pushing so we can break through the clouds and so we can get over that darkness. We have to just keep pushing. And also, it's what you are pushing towards. It's not just like, I'm going to just grin and bear it. You know, the idea here is the Grief is going to be because of my crucifixion. The joy is going to be because of my resurrection. And so these things are connected to the work of God. It's not just like, well, someday you're going to get a raise and everything will be better. You know, it's not just a material thing. It's not just, well, you're going to find out the doctor says you don't have cancer and then everything's going to be better or that person's going to be nice to you and everything's good. This has to do with your endeavor for the things of God that he is able to take the problems that we go through and then give us something that is more valuable than the problems of this world. And so he's really helping them see that all the things they're hoping in here for the Messiah to set up his kingdom here on earth and all those hopes that they have that are going to be dashed They're going to turn to joy when you see that God is actually doing something else, but it's a good thing, and they will be able to find joy, even though it's not in what they were thinking. Does that make sense? OK, so it's not just like oh, everything's going to be good and the sun will come out tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, it's not this happy, go lucky, you know, ignorant kind of bliss that is taking place. It really has to do with what are we connected to? Because they are going to have to be connected to Christ who rises from the dead. And he's going to go on to say that no one takes this joy away because you're connected to life. And even when the difficulties come, no one can take this joy away. And so that's what he says in verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have asked for you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now we talked about this a little bit last week, but what do you think he's meaning when he says, "In that day you will no longer ask me anything." Why are we not going to ask him anything? Cuz he's not there. Okay because he won't be with them but truly I tell you my father will give you whatever you ask in my name remember we we've we've talked about how Jesus has made it possible for us to go directly to God and we don't even have to say hey Jesus can you tell God something for me so he's not interceding much like what you know, some do with the saints, you know, well, we'll pray to Mary and Ma- Mary will intercede for us. Jesus is saying, you don't have to ask me. You just ask the father in my name. And we've talked about in my name and what that means. And until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Again, this is connecting our joy to the will of Christ. Ask in my name and your joy will be complete. So if your thoughts and your heart and your mind is positioned a place to see what Jesus wants to do take place in the world around you, ask and your joy will be complete. Because God is wanting to work and he's wanting to use you in his work. And so ask in my name, and I'll give you whatever you ask again in my name has to do with in my will, and it will be done for you, and your joy will be full. It will be complete. Any thoughts or questions on that those verses? Nope. It's a somber group here tonight. Verse twenty five. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus really is opening up a deeper understanding of our relationship with God and with the Father. The Father himself loves you. This is a personal pronoun, okay? I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. God loves you already. I think many times we have this mindset of God was angry with us, and then Jesus came and made it so that God isn't angry anymore with us, that kind of mentality. But Jesus never presents things in that way. It's always been that God so loved the world that he gave. It wasn't that God was mad at us, so he had to send Jesus so he wouldn't be mad anymore. No, God has always loved us, and because he loved us, he gave his son. You see, Jesus came in response to God's heart, not to appease God's heart. And that's an important distinction because a lot of religious belief has the idea that God is angry until you're under the blood of Jesus and then he's not angry at you anymore. Okay, and it's not that God is angry. The Father himself loves you and he's helping them to see that. You you can go to God because he loves you. And he is saying that before the cross. Okay, so the cross hasn't taken place yet. And Jesus is saying, you can go to the Father because he loves you. He didn't die to change God into a God of love. He died to tell us that God is love. And it's important that we see that. He came not because God so hated the world, but because God so loved the world. Jesus brought to men, the love that God had already for them. And it's important that we see that. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And otherwise, you start getting a skewed idea of not only God, but of Jesus and why he came. You know, Jesus came to appease the anger of God. No, Jesus came because God loved and God needed to, Help us. Jesus appeased the guilt of man, not the anger of God. Makes sense? Okay, and it's important that we understand that because throughout Jesus's time of talking to the multitudes, what made it so spectacular was that God actually cared about the people. The Sermon on the Mount, talking to the multitudes, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said that to the multitudes. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Why would you tell these people they are the light of the world? That's only for the Christian, right? No, that's God's thinking for humanity. Man is not living up to the potential that God has called us to live. And so Jesus is helping us to see God's love for them. And now what we need to do is respond to that love and deal with what's wrong in our lives. And that's where we have to recognize sin. We have to repent. We have to ask for forgiveness. We want to draw near to God and we know that Jesus now has paid the debt that we owe. And so now we have confidence coming before the throne room of grace. We don't have to come thinking, I wonder if I'm good enough. No, Christ was good enough. I don't have to wonder. I wonder if God loves me. No, God loved you. That's why he sent Jesus. And so our conscience can go before God and think it's okay. And so think about this. Your conscience, living your life and you know about Christ and you've been a follower of Christ, but you have a bad day or maybe week or maybe even a month or year and, and you do some really stupid, foolish things. You do some things that you knew were wrong that cause you and the people you love grief, and, and now you have this kind of condemning thought, "Oh my gosh, how can I go to God with what i 've done? How, how do I now come before God and you you come to god thinking oh, I, I have to I have to get him to to forgive me first so that I can come before him so that maybe he'll want to help me. You see, that's not at all the picture that Jesus is painting. Even when you're in that bad and pitiful place, God still loves you. That's the whole story of the the son who went out, the prodigal son, and went out and squandered his life. God still loved that son Actually, God loved both sons. That story is about two sons and the father. And ne- there was never a time when that, pers- that son could not come to the father. There's never a time when you can't go to God, even if you really blow it. Even if you turn your back on your family, and even if you do these things, there is never a time where you can't return to God and receive forgiveness. You have to return. You have to turn. But God isn't, nope, sorry. First pay penance and then I'll accept you. Penance is paid through Jesus. It's never too late to start doing what is right. And so we can always turn. The problem is some people don't. The problem is, some people continue to live in the lie and live in the darkness, and then they go further and further away in that darkness. But they can always turn back to God. And of course, there's the repercussions of all that we do. You know, you still reap what you sow, good or bad. But Jesus is really letting us know that God loves you right now, right where you're at, and you can go to Him right now. And he goes on and he says, God loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Remember, that's what we started in chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That we have the clear picture of who God is in Jesus. And as we trust Jesus, we trust God And he says that he came from the father, which really speaks of his preeminence, his always existing, that he entered the world, which speaks of the incarnation. I am leaving the world, which speaks of his resurrection and going back to the father speaks of his ascension. So here we have kind of encapsulated Jesus always was, he came into the world, He rose from the dead, and he's ascending back to the Father. And Jesus is telling them this at this time. But they are unable to grasp this, as I think we would be too if we were at that time. Jesus would start telling me this, you'd be like, that's out there. I don't get it. Okay, it's just kind of hard for my mind to wrap around. Any questions on those verses, 25 through 28? Or any thoughts on those verses? Um, There are different ideas on, you know, Christophany, where it is Christ appearing, um, you know, at different times. It's hard to be certain when it actually is Jesus, but we know that he's always existed, and so it's possible. We know that he did not become human until the incarnation, but yeah, he, you know, and even the messenger, like we're going to look at, or maybe we'll look at in uh, Genesis, I think 17, where Three men come up to Abraham and it's the Lord, but it's three men. What is that about? You know, and he has sits there and talks with them. They have this little discussion, and Abraham's able to hear their discussion. They're going to talk about going to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroying it. And they have this dialogue with God. Well, what is that? And some people will say, well, it's a Christophany, you know, it's Christ appearing, but it's also a messenger of God. And so there are these ideas of God showing up and revealing himself in these ways, which they think might have been, uh, you know, again, a pre, yeah, image. Yeah, one like the son of God, yeah. Yeah, so it could be a Christophany, an image of Christ, and so, in that way. You know, there, I mean, Jesus says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, John says, in the beginning of the Gospel, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's connecting to, again, Genesis, that always in the beginning. Colossians, before, Uh, All things, he is before all things, all things that were made were made by him and through him. Nothing was made that was not made from him. So he is before all things, you know, and that's talking about Christ. He is preeminent. And so there is always this understanding that Christ has existed. He wasn't created like an angel or another being. He's always existed, you know, and so um, definitely preeminent in Christ in that way. So. Any other thoughts on these verses? No. Oh, okay. We'll finish up here. Verse 29. Then Jesus' disciple said, I love this. Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So now they believe And then Jesus responds, do you now believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming, and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me alone, all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. There are some powerful things just in these verses. First of all, he challenges them, really? You believe now? Now, do you think they didn't believe? What do you think they were saying? Do you think they were just blowing smoke? What do, you, what do you think? You think they were just blowing smoke? They said they believed, but they didn't. You know, the only thing he says different is, I'm leaving the world and going back to my father, where he says, I'm going to go away, and then I'll come back. And so now there's a little more clarification. I'm leaving the world. And so... Well, still, I don't think they fully understood what it meant, but I think it brought a little clarity. Okay, you're leaving the world. And so in their mind, they probably had an idea of concept, but I don't think they fully understood still. And I love that Jesus says, do you? You you believe now? And then he goes on to say, because there's going to be a time that's scattered. Now, I think it's something to think about is believing is more than knowing. You can know things, but not live them. And so one would question if you're believing them. You know what I'm saying? So I have an understanding that the word belief here is more than being aware. It actually is being engaged in and acting on. One of the I just read something today and was talking uh, about a pastor who was very just disheartened with the church group that he was with, because they always talked about knowing the word. You need to know the word, you need to know the word. But they weren't becoming better people. And so this whole idea of, well, you got to know the word, you got to know the Bible, you got to know the Bible, wasn't making them better people. They weren't more compassionate. They weren't more loving. In fact, they became very judgmental, very self-righteous. And so this idea of knowledge and belief kind of got intermixed and say, well, we believe, why? Because we know. But Jesus is saying, do you really believe, even if you know you're going to scatter which shows that there's something lacking in your belief. Because your belief isn't enough to hold you at this point what they were believing. And knowledge isn't enough to hold us. It has to involve commitment. It has to we have to be have a conviction of it that holds us. When something is, you know, a part of our conviction, I, I will not cross this line, why? Because, in my mind, I just cannot, even though you might know well, you know you could no, i can 't why because it 's my conviction, and so belief has to do with that kind of process. I have a, a from, you know understanding, but I also have a conviction, and they didn 't have the conviction when he left that they were going to, okay, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. It's okay. We still believe no one. He was arrested. They scattered. Why? Because they knew he was from God, but they didn't understand. And so when the fire hit, they scattered. Now they came back, which is comforting because how many times have we scattered, you know, and we have the opportunity to come back. But, It's important to understand that this idea of believing is more than just knowing. It has to do with living. It has to do with being involved in our lives. Um, Again, there's too many people who know, and I think that's one of the problems happening in the Western church in the United States, is so many people know doctrine, but they're not living like Jesus. They're prejudiced, they're judgmental, you know, they're self-righteous, but they know all about the gospel. And then we have to say, is that me, Lord? Am, Am I like that? Do I have all this information because I hear it? And let's face it, we can hear gospel all the time. I mean, there's on TV, on radio, Bible studies. I mean, there's so much we can know. But when is it, okay, I know, now how does it show up? How, instead of asking, do I know more than I did last year? We should be asking, am I a better person than I was last year? Am, am I more compassionate than I was last year? Or do I just know more? Oh, I went in depth through the book of Revelation. Man, I got a lot of stuff. Are you a better person or are you still a jerk to your waiter? You know what I mean? I saw a post. Someone says, if you're nice to me, but you're not nice to your waitress, you're not a nice person. There's some Facebook comment, but I just like thought, Yeah, it's true. You know, if you're not a nicer person, then what good is all that information doing to you? Then. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up, it edifies. And so we've gotten into a place where we think, and it's not that knowing isn't bad, but it's not enough. Knowing and loving have to go together. And here they believe, maybe, but he says, you're going to scatter. And really what's gripped me in verse 32 is, you will leave me alone. That's heartbreaking you will leave me alone. These are his closest friends and he's telling them you're going to leave me alone. And he says, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I got to tell you a little emo moment I had when I was in high school. Um, this verse reminded me of, I had become a follower of Christ and I had a really bad day as far as high school bad days could go, which really isn't bad, you know, looking back, I long for those kinds of bad days, but I I had this bad day, and it was a rough time at work, and I was taking all my friends to go see a a band, it was a Christian concert, and so we all jumped in my Volkswagen, uh, and we drove there, Had my girlfriend at the time, and a couple other friends, and we are driving, and I was just in this kind of, man, I had a rough day, and no one... Cares you know, and asked me, of course i didn 't you know say, Hey, I had a bad day. I just was moping and feeling sorry for myself, so i 'm driving there and I get over there and it 's packed out. This place is packed, you know, and there 's people everywhere, and so I, I pull up and they go, pull up, pull, pull up here, and I pull up, and they all jump out of the car and they go running out, and they go park and we 'll see you later, you know i 'm like, oh. and I remember just closing the door and thinking, Man, nobody cares about me, right' <laughs> It's so stupid looking back on it now. I mean, just like they all went out to go to the concert without me. And I'm just pulling, and I'm driving further and further away because it was packed. You know, and I'm driving out. And the further out I get, the, the more I just feel sorry for myself, and I feel sorry. And finally I get over, and I find a place to park. And as I just park, and I'm just sitting there kind of stewing, and all of a sudden I just sense and feel God saying, I'm still here. I love you. I haven't left you. I just start crying, right? I just start, God loves me. And I just had a really moment. I had a moment at that time because I did recognize that, you know what? Even if my friends left me, God has not. And it meant a lot to me at that time. And when I read this verse, it reminds me of that moment in my Volkswagen when God told me he was with me. You know, and he ministered to my heart, I haven't left you, I'm here. Quit crying, go to the concert. You know, it's just kind of... A neat time, and yet Jesus says, I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. What would happen if we just had an understanding, an awareness that God is with us, and we didn't depend as much for people to give us that need to make us feel okay? What if we could just really care more about how much God cares for us? I wonder how much more secure we could be. Now, we need people in our lives, but I wonder if just the realization of God being with us could help us through those times when people fail us like they do. If we had an understanding, of, you know what? God's with me. Because Jesus said, He he's with me. And he closes and he says, and this is just a wonderful verse, a promise that is... Filled with reality and hope. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And there are a number of things that jump out to me in this verse. The first one is he's telling us so that we can have peace. So whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, Jesus has told us these things so that you can have peace. He just told us that it's a a joy that the world can't take away. This is a peace that comes from him. In me, you might have peace. Again, a peace that's not connected to circumstances, a peace that is anchored to God. What would give us peace in spite of all the things that happen? How is it that we could have peace in him? What does that mean? What are your thoughts? I mean, in me, you might have peace. What does that look like to you guys? What does it look like to have peace in Christ? I like that word assurance, you know, having the eternal perspective, having assurance and the eternal perspective needs to be connected to a reality that is current. When he says, I have overcome the world, it's in the past tense. And the reason we could have peace is because he has already brought it. To us. So even though circumstances are bad now, Jesus has dealt with it already. And so we can have peace in Him even in the middle of this because that assurance that He is going to make things right. It might be difficult, it could be horrendous, but we can have peace because He has already seen it through to completion for us. And he warns us in the world, you will have trouble. Think about this. John is writing this. Looking back, he has already seen his brothers and sisters killed for their faith in Jesus. And as he's writing back, he's looking past all those who he knows who have died, who have been martyred, for their belief and faith in Christ. And he's remembering Jesus' words. And Jesus says. I'm telling you this so that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation trouble but I have overcome the world and now John looking past is able to see God did overcome that yeah they were martyred yeah they gave their life but God overcame God is still sure God's promises have made it past all that this world was able to throw at them and he's telling us the same thing we can have peace why because I've overcome the world You are connected to me, therefore you are connected to life. And you can have the reality of God's presence and peace with you right now in spite of whatever is going on because of what he has already done for us. We have to be able to see that there are things that are more important than just circumstances. That there is a life that is deeper than just the things that we see or experience. That God connects to all these things, but he is greater than all these things. That way, we aren't putting our hope in the experiences in the things, we are putting our hope in God, who is greater than all those things, and who is able to take everything we go through, every situation, every experience, and produce within that something that is eternal. That's why Paul could say, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. How can glory be revealed in us? It's because God is working in us through all these things. And so in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but you can have peace. And you can take heart. He's already warned us it's going to happen, but take heart. I've already become victorious. And so that's going to be your inheritance, but it starts now. You're supposed to experience the peace now, not just can't wait till I die and then I got peace, right? Anyone been there? Any thoughts on the final verse here? don't know if he wrote it. He might have wrote before Patmos. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I don't think it was. I think it was written before, at least what I've read, that it was written before Patmos. But, um, I mean, persecution started happening tremendously, like in 70 A.D. And I think they have him writing this maybe like 90 A.D. You know, sometime. But we know that, I mean, throughout Acts, the persecution starts to take place. And this was written after that period of time so any other thoughts yes you know I I don't think we're ever going to get it fully I I think we're going to keep on growing and experiencing and I think there's a need to keep growing you know I, I think as we look at even Paul and his conversion, where he started and where he ended. I mean, I think there was growth in his life. I think there's supposed to be continued growth and development and trust in God in our lives. And we're going to have some pitfalls, but we keep growing through it. You know, there are times now I look back and I know that Corrine and I could not have gone through what we've gone through 10 years ago. What we went through in the past year. You know, it would have sunk us. But, you know we have to deal with whatever we have to deal with at the time, you know? And so that's just how life goes on. You know, you have to keep pushing forward and you have to keep growing. And again, you know, I, I want to be encouraged in growing in Christ. I mean, raising a family is tough, you know, raising kids is a lot of work and I don't know that it ever ends. I don't, I think it does, you know, and so it's something. It's like, yeah, playing with kids is easy, but raising kids is hard. Knowing about God is easy, but growing in God is hard, because it requires change to take place in us. And, and I don't want to just teach people about God. I, I want to raise Christians, you know. I want to raise people who who live for Jesus. And that's you know one of the things that I, when you know, we, we talk here or when I, I talk on a Sunday, I'm not trying to just teach people the Bible. You know, I want us to learn how to be people of God and live like those who followed Christ are supposed to live and help us to understand what that looks like and all the good and the bad and the ugly, but to have that vision and understanding, and that's a difficult thing. Because we don't do it, you know, and then you talk to people and you've been, you know, sharing with them for years and then they say something and you're like, wow, where did that come from? You know, what I mean, it's like, but then that's what happens with us, right? You know, I've been following Jesus for all these years and all of a sudden I have a bad day and I'm like, oh, God doesn't love me. It's like, where did that come from? You know, it's part of growing, and we have to move forward and we have to grow in Christ and we have to be better people who represent Jesus. And I think Jesus is trying to help his disciples to see, okay, this is happening, but hey, this is your position. In me, you can have peace. In the world, it's going to get tough, but I've overcome the world. And so you keep living how you're supposed to live in spite of things that change around you. Make sense? A little bit? All right, let's pray. And then eat some of Mary. Was that What kind of bread is that, Mary? Uh, carrot, raisin. carrot raisin bread there. So something to look forward to. Father, thank you for these words and for your uh, encouraging us in spite of the circumstances we go through and knowing that in the world we will have Trouble, Lord, we can take heart. You have overcome the world that in you we can have peace, that God loves us, that you are for us, not against us, and that your desire is to work in us and to work for a purpose, God, not just to help us to live happy lives, but to help us live meaningful lives. Lord, help us to connect to meaning and the meaning you would have for us, a purpose that you would have for us. Help us to understand that you have given us life for a reason and not just so that we could enjoy coffee and carrot bread. Lord, you've given us life so that we can make an impact on the world around us in some way that we could show your love to to someone, that we can be an example of you and that we would go out in your name and represent you to whatever degree we can. And I thank you for this time and for your encouragement to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.